Um, so the very first day of school, um, college, we, you know, you don't have, you don't have assigned seats, but yet you kind of sit in the general area. And when you first walked in, said hi, and it just felt like we had known each other. And he sat the very back, and then each each class he's he'd move up a table and move up a table till one day I came to class and he was sitting in my chair I just wanted to be engaged in the learning mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not but yeah we met at friends um, and from there uh, we jokingly say that we got married because uh, we had a passion for photography and uh, we started our business actually that we ran for 13 years. So the first season of your marriage, what was, what was that like? Ay, ay, ay. We made it the first year and we, we, we celebrated. We, we, yeah, we celebrated our first anniversary. Um, I think it was hard. We, You were finishing a year of college. Um, you were an only child. I, had a, I grew up in a large family, so we had those differences. We had our own luggage from growing up that uh, we didn't know how to talk about. So that was interesting. And, mm -hmm. you know, while I went to work during the day, you were, went to school and then you worked kind of a night shift. So we really didn't see each other a whole lot. So yeah, it, it was interesting. <laughs> the first two years were real rough. Mm -hmm. We worked a lot. Yeah. Worked in the same office, and, and there was parts we of that. We worked well yeah. together. Yeah, we always worked well together. Friends meet Jeff and Tiffany. Tiffany and Jeff meet friends. <clears throat> that's uh, Jeff and Tiffany. That's they. They are part of our church. They're part of this community. Part of our our family here, and that's just barely the beginning of their story. We're going to hear a little bit more from their story later on, and today we're going to look at the Bible, though. We want to look at the Bible, and we want to look at marriage, and just one commitment, one principle in marriage is what we're shooting for. What, is, what does the Bible say about marriage? Last week, we looked at a number of truths, looking in, the, looking in Genesis, looking in, in Scripture. But today, I just want to look at one. And even though it's very simple, it seems to be the most difficult to commit to. It seems the most difficult commitment to keep. In legal verbiage, they call it the term of agreement, the start date and the end date. Marriage as God defines it, how long is it supposed to last? Let me take you to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. I'll read it to you. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So Paul's speaking about marriage, Romans chapter 7, verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Notice that term, while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So in the scriptures, you see clearly from these two verses and many others that marriage was designed to last a lifetime. And we need to teach our kids this. We need to remind each other of this. We need to bring this back uh, to our church family, to our brothers and sisters, to the next generations. God designed marriage to last a lifetime. So 
How many of you have heard of the phrase, giving your hand in marriage? How many of you have heard that, giving your hand in marriage? Okay, enough of you that hopefully this trick will, I want you to do this. Think about your hand has five fingers. I want you to give your hand of marriage to the Bible. This is what I mean. I want you to take your hand and I want you to think. There are five principles, five guidelines of marriage in the scriptures. It's not the only thing the Bible says about marriage, but these are five principles of marriage, and you can just use your hand. It's one man, one woman, one couple, one flesh, one lifetime. If you remember those ones, the oneness of marriage, the way that God designed it, just using your hand, like your hand in marriage, you will get the guidelines, the parameters for marriage in the Bible. One man, one woman. We talked a lot about that last week, and that is so significant today in our culture. One couple, leaving your father and mother, don't let them enter into your marriage. Your marriage should be between you and your spouse, and no outsiders, no poison, no distraction, no division from others. One couple, one flesh, and we didn't really talk about it, we didn't flesh it out last week. Uh, I'm waiting till a guest preacher, I'm probably going to ask Pastor Dave to preach on that when he comes uh, to dodge that bullet. And so one flesh, and I'll let someone else talk about it. And this morning, we're just looking at one lifetime. One lifetime. That's the term of an agreement. Like most people, couples enter into a marriage thinking it's going to last. But even though lots of marriages begin with the hope of staying together and raising a family, it's not always that easy. Hear a little bit more of Jeff and Tiffany's story. What was your relationship with the Lord through all these years? What did that look like? We'd attend church on Sundays. We were the Sunday goers, but we weren't really engaged. We weren't. Yeah, I, it, growing in our faith, I mean, I, I'd always kind of had a connection to the Lord, I feel, early on, but just like purpose and consistency and growing it wasn't really there. And that probably was in our, in our marriage, too. I mean, we had, when we started our business, we really wanted to give away a lot of what we earned back for, for missionary type stuff. Like, that was our heart. But then as it grew, we got sucked into more is better and recognition and things like that that I think deviated our, our growth with God. And the other part of that, I mean, as I said, we, I grew up in a large family, so being a dad, being a, uh, having kids was something of interest, and that wasn't always on wasn't early on. Wasn't on my radar yeah. early on. But. So those are unique differences to work through. Um, but then, you know, when we, we, we decided and, and we felt, you know, hey, we're going to try, um, you know, we had this struggle of uh, over about four years of What's going on? <laughs> this isn't working. We, we, we can't. Uh, God, you know. I remember being at a gas station and just seeing uh, a dad walking with a son or a kid, and, and it's just like, God, why? Why? Why not for us? Like, why is this not happening? Um, we didn't know how to talk about it a lot. <laughs> no, but each month, when we'd find out that I wasn't pregnant, we'd get an animal. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> we'd go get a, a miniature, or we'd go get a, 
another dog or a cat or a goat. And yeah, we have a lot of animals. <laughs> or another goat. You know, I've preached in a lot of places. This is one place where that makes sense here. You could get a goat. You know, you hear from Jeff and Tiffany, their story, there are difficulties we all face uh, when we try to commit to a lifetime of marriage. It's difficult. You know, you heard their story. They were just kind of, they got caught up in more is better and the throes of life and infertility. And some of you have faced those challenges. But that's not how the culture views it. That's an old story. That's a Christian story. That's a Christian culture story. Nowadays, the culture is having conversations. People, our neighbors, our community, they're having conversations about marriage, not because it's just so hard. It's because it's not worth it. I, I read article after article, and I, I read and I listened to how author after author choked. They choked and they stumbled on the traditional wedding vows that are nearly 500 years old, uh, where they say, till death do us part. How many of you that have been married had that vow in your wedding? Could you raise your hands just so we could see? Till death do us part. There was an a archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Thomas Cranmer, back in the 16th century. He wrote the common book of prayer, and you can go look at it. It's still used in Protestant evangelical circles. And in that, he had uh, the vows that we take kind of from. There was an edited version in 1662, but he wrote... These wedding vows, or maybe he got it from someone else, we don't know, but those wedding vows have stayed with us for hundreds of years, and at the very end, it says, till death do us part. And do you know that Google searches right now, when they look at traditional wedding vows, one of the biggest questions that new couples have is, do I have to have till death do us part? What does till death do us part? Why do we say till death do us part? And it's because couples, young people, the next generation's, they don't mind for sicker or in health. You know, sometimes I get sick too. They don't mind for richer or poorer. Most people think they're poor, even though we're really rich uh, in this culture. Uh, they don't mind that. But when you get to as long as you both shall live, till death do us part, when you get to that point, you raise the level of commitment to marriage to a height where the common person, the average person out there says, I don't know if I'm willing to commit to that. And guess what? The same was true in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. The questions that people are having right now about marriage, the, the, the chokehold of it, is the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. And I want to point you to that. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been here for weeks, you've noticed we've, we've been looking at the life of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, in the most famous sermon in all of the world, in Jesus' standard, out of my pocket, this is the commentary sermon that I have to give to thousands of people at one time. These, this is my preaching. He mentions marriage and divorce. He mentions this very issue. So you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking, and he gets to this part in verse 31. He says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Jesus brings up a controversial topic. It's not just controversial today. And, and listen, I, my parents divorced when I was a young kid, and um, my sister's been divorced, and, and friends and family. I know that this is a very sensitive subject. Some of you have deep pain and trauma and hurts and, and issues with, with in this realm. Jesus addresses this on purpose. They hurt too. The women of this day that were living through this hurt too. The woman at the well, the woman called in adultery, uh, the, those that have been divorced, those have, that have been remarried, the, the people that Jesus loved felt pain and uh, deep emotions with this uh, just like we are today. And so I want to I wanna recognize that. I know this, this is very sensitive. And he, he begins this two-verse portion of, this, of his sermon by addressing the law of marriage uh, and the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Moses said, Moses wrote down, you can read this in Deuteronomy 24, that if a husband found, and I'm quoting and we'll go back to it, some indecency in his wife, he couldn't send her away without writing her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus said, that is, you guys have taken this too far. Not every certificate of divorce that you have given is, absolves you from a relationship uh, of marriage. And so Jesus brings up this controversial topic, raises the, the bar, the level for marriage, and it gets brought up again in the same gospel in Matthew chapter 19. So we, were, we are in Matthew 5. Now we turn to Matthew 19. The religious leaders can't get over this topic. They're like, wait a minute. I want to ask you again. You, you said something about marriage. You said, you said something about divorce. Wait, what do you mean divorce isn't as easy as we've made it? What do you mean divorce isn't that simple? And so they address this again in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, there were two schools of thought on divorce in Jesus' day. There was the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. And they all divide over the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It'll come on the screen. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And those two words, some indecency, it's two different Hebrew words. This is where the two schools of thought divide on. Uh, And he writes her a certificate of divorce. So Moses is saying if this happens and he writes, this man needs to send her away with a certificate. And this is what happened. There were some in the school of Shammai that would say, now listen, that word indecency refers only to adultery. This is speaking about adultery. Divorce should not happen. It wasn't part of God's plan. And the only reason why there should be a legal process of allowing this to happen is when there has been infidelity and one of the spouses has broken the covenant marriage and it's just, un, you know, it's severed at that point. That is the certificate of divorce. But there were others in the school of Hillel where they said not the word indecency. They didn't focus on that. They focused on the Hebrew word that we have some. They focused on that Hebrew word and said, hey, this could be any indecency. As a matter of fact, if a woman even burns her husband's food, he can give her a certificate of divorce. And that's real. 
You can go in the Mishnah, it's like this Hebrew commentary of, of how they practice things, the, of their way of practicing the law, and you could read in Gannett, I think it's chapter 9, verse 10, and you could read about the Jewish teacher saying, hey, you can get divorced for any reason, really. And there were others, part of Shammai, where they would say, no, 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 no. Uh, if you look at Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through, I think, 31, you read that the issue is adultery, that this idea of sexual immorality. And so there was this school of thought, and, and the question to Jesus is ultimately, hey, when are we allowed to get divorced? That's what they're really asking. When are we allowed to undo marriage, to redo marriage? When are we allowed to get out of this? And, and we have to be honest about this with one another. As a church, we need to teach the Scripture. We need to be honest and caring and loving. Should we judge those Pharisees quickly? Who in this room has not felt, that's old enough, has not felt the weight and the gravity of a lifetime commitment? How many couples have you talked to where they're like, a lifetime forever, sticking together no matter what? That is a heavy lifetime. I know people in my life where I've actually had the thoughts before of, what did I do? And it is part of human nature to ask, this is a big commitment, am I allowed to get out of it? So before we judge them, we need to at least be honest with ourselves and not be too pious and haughty that we think we wouldn't ask questions like this. They're asking a deep heart issue. At what point does this serious commitment, at what point can it end? Because it was serious, and marriage is rarely easy. It's never perfect. And, and uh, anybody who's been married long enough can understand. And the truth is, anybody on the outside looking at a couple will never know the strife and the trials that a couple's going through. Uh, some of you, how many of you have read in the news recently about the Gabby Petito case? where social media has just flooded. I mean, it's just all over. It's all over YouTube. It's on the home feeds. Even if you never look at that stuff, it's, it pops up. And here's, here's the issue in our culture. Some people watched their social media feed and said, they're awesome. They look beautiful. They're perfect. They have fun. They're traveling across the country. How in the world could there be issues in that couple, in that, in that relationship? No couple is immune to strife. No couple is immune to the struggle of commitment, to the struggle of marriage. And Christian couples are no exception. L listen to a little bit more of Jeff and Tiffany's story. So the next few years of marriage were um, blissful, actually. I mean, we just having a child finally and settling in and just felt right. And just uh, we started plugging in more with the church. Um, starting um, attending a small group and just really going to Bible study and everything um, on the outside looked really, really good. Um, on the inside, we were still running. We were still doing photography on the side and um, you were staying up late in working there as we had Brody, it, there were parts that were good, but I'm by nature a workaholic. I, my dad's a workaholic. It's it's kind of in my genes, and it took away a lot from you and uh, time with you. 
that and leading that, that I should have been providing looking back and you know you, like you said working late that it, it led to um, you know disconnectedness with us and, and, and kind of areas of meeting each other's needs which led to um, you know addiction with pornography at a point in time that, that put a bigger wedge between between us. So I could feel the disconnection happening and could tell neither one of our needs were being met, not knowing what was happening while I went to bed. I didn't realize till later, um, but I stepped out of our marriage and went down a path I never thought I would ever find myself in. I mean, with with finding out about the first affair, I mean, the first thing we did was come to the church and we sought counsel. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I remember driving away from the house uh, after confronting you and just, God, what do you say about this? And the first verse that came up as I was just looking for verses, was the story of Jesus when he draws a line in the sand and asks, you know, who is without sin to cast the first stone? And it was convicting of me that while this was horrible and this was not okay, um, I had a part in this too. It didn't, it, it sounds easier than it was because it wasn't easy, but, but that's what I felt. Um, what are some things that led to the second? I think we found ourselves kind of back in a rut um, of working and uh, trying to do weddings here and there and fill in. And, addressing um, the problems and part of the problems were we weren't seeking God and the other part was we weren't or learning Christian counseling yeah we weren't learning how to, how to communicate mm -hmm. and how to work through some of the early challenges or different challenges that we just never talked about yeah. in our marriage I know there are some of you that, that may understand how difficult it is to share your challenges and brokenness publicly, and I'm just really grateful to Jeff and Tiffany that they were willing to expose the reality of their own lives so that you could have an opportunity to think honestly and openly and maybe even share amongst one another about what's going on with you. You know, Jeff shared at the end of that that he felt like part of the problem was they were not focused on following God, and they weren't communicating together. And I know there 
there has got to be some couples in here. Maybe you are holding on by a thread, or maybe you're not feeling like, oh, I'm on the verge of something, you know, like this, but you know that your marriage needs God's help and nurturing. And we are dedicating the whole month of October to supporting you and encouraging you. Pastors are willing to pray with you. Elders praying over you after the service, going to the prayer room. We have mentor couples that are willing to pray with you and talk with you and listen to your story and walk alongside you in some way. We, we have date nights for free. Five hours of, you know how much five hours of babysitting costs me with five kids? Right? I have to get a part-time job to do that. Like, we, we want as a church family to be honest with one another, to truly love and encourage and care for one another. And some of you, the time is now, there are people and resources right here in this church family, and all you do is have to let us know. Reach out to us, and we, we don't have a magic pill, there's no, I mean, we don't have unlimited resources, but we love you and we want to dedicate the fall every year to looking at the, the marriage, the family, parenting, because the family is the center of the society. You could have all kinds of wonderful teaching and music and, you know, you guys could get a new good preacher or something. Guess what? If families are not healthy, discipleship isn't going to be what it needs to be. People aren't going to be growing like they need to be. And so our heart for you and our heart as pastors, as elders, leaders here, volunteer leaders, there's hundreds of people that make this happen. We want to serve one another and really care for one another. Because Jesus was clear about God's intention and heart for every husband and wife. He designed marriage to last for a lifetime. Even though he knew it wouldn't, even though he knows it doesn't, even though some of you have been through the brokenness of it. It doesn't change the truth that when you get to know Jesus face to face and you get to hear his heart in the scriptures, he makes it loud and clear the damage that you felt, the brokenness that you felt was not my design. That wasn't my intention. Look back at Matthew 19, verse 3. And, the, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And you know the background on that. Those two schools of thought, the people of his day, same as today. When is it okay? Verse 4, he answered, have you not read? He's talking to Bible scholars, Jewish Old Testament scholars. They have memorized portions of the Old Testament, and he asked them a basic question, not just a poke at their pride, but to get them to be honest. Haven't you read God's word already? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, one man, one woman, one couple, leave your parents, uh, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus is describing marriage as something that God brings together, not just a judge, not just a court, not just a government, not just a husband and wife. Marriage is something that God has designed to bring together. So they said to him, why then? Okay, Mr. Rabbi, teacher, you're giving us all this deeper thing. Why then, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, I want you to notice something because Jesus referenced it. They say, 
why did Moses command a husband to give a certificate of divorce? Was that a command in Deuteronomy 24 verse 1? No. God never commanded that you must divorce. But to their minds, they're like, hey, this is, this is what we ought to do. Here's the process. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Bottom line, this is because of you, not God. This was something that man created, not God. God created marriage, man created divorce. That wasn't part of God's intention. And I know the Old Testament, Malachi, he talks about God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate the divorced. He doesn't hate you if you've been divorced. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin, as some people feel it is. Did you notice in Jeff and Tiffany's story, their testimony, the genuine tears and the shame and the guilt that came about? Listen, I know God hates divorce, but so do divorce people. So do divorce people. There are no winners in divorce. There are only survivors. And so we need to be compassionate and caring and encouraging for those who have walked through brokenness. Because many have. And Jesus makes it clear, this wasn't God's design. That brokenness that was felt was not his intention Moses gave you a legal process, but it wasn't God's intention. And I say to you, verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Sexual immorality, that word, that Greek word is like a junk drawer word. It's actually a very general word that means any kind of immorality sexually. Between the two genders in this marriage covenant, anything that breaks what old timey ways of saying it is uh, breaks the, the marriage bed. Anything that infringes upon that, that divides a husband and wife and marries another, commits adultery. And there's many ways that that happened for both of those in the testimony. And listen to the disciples when they finally hear what Jesus is saying. The deci- these are grown men, by the way. Some, most of them are married, as far as we know. At least half of them are married. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Just let that sink in for a minute. The reaction of those hearing Jesus' words on marriage, that it's a lifetime commitment. Hear Jesus, the rabbi, teach and say, Jesus, if marriage is as serious and highly honored as the way you're saying it, I don't think any man or woman should get married. The way you view marriage, the kind of design that God had for a husband and wife, that is so significant and honorable and special. I don't know. We human beings can't can't keep it correctly. We can't do this the right way. And that was really Jesus' intent. Because marriage is a living example and a picture of the gospel. As a husband loves his wife, Jesus says, I want, or through Ephesians, Paul taught. Just as Christ loved the church, husbands love your wives. Just as the the church submits and loves Jesus, wives submit to your husbands. Paul, uh, John, Jesus gives these examples over and over again. Marriage ought to be highly honored. And we can't lose that in our culture. Even though we care for one another and we understand the brokenness, we shouldn't water down the significance of marriage. 
Marriage is so significant to God because it's a living example. Now, they act like, well, you should get married or you should get divorced if, if immorality has happened and that's not what Jesus meant. You do not have to divorce if there's immorality, if there's brokenness, if there's uh, uh, strife between you to where you have broken your vows to one another, that wasn't God's intention either, that you would just divorce at every step, which is part of what his, his preaching is to them. You don't have to divorce your spouse if your spouse has been unfaithful. And it's not true, it's not better to not marry. Jesus, the Bible actually says it's good to marry and God designed marriage. I want you to list, listen to the rest of Jeff and Tiffany's story. What were some of the traps for you? Um, you know, I had cut ties with Facebook, but then there were other social medias, and I fell myself in a trap of seeking that unrealistic attention, I guess, that still wasn't getting, but... But when we, but after that one, we really, um, and seeking counseling, and you had me move out for 40 days. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was. Uh... God really, I could really feel God moving in, in my heart and just um, changing just changing who, everything. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time even before you were broken, I remember, uh, and Kyle, you were there, sitting across at our kitchen table. Kyle and I on one side, and you're on the other. And you're just saying, you don't love me, and there's no way, and you're going to have the house and this and that and just just such a a disconnect so not who you are and to see the transformation God has done in you when you surrendered and sought him is truly amazing I had wrapped myself in so many lies and webs that I didn't even believe what I was saying was even I could tell it was not me but it was like I was stuck in this lie of making whatever happen um, which just led down a even darker path until finally <clears throat> I was broken to the point that I was prostrate on the floor on the ground um, and just seeking God's help because I didn't know where else to turn. I, he was, he was the only one I could turn to at that point because I had, I had lost, I had lost so many friends. I, I was thought I was going to lose my marriage, my kids, everything. I had nothing. I didn't. Didn't even know if my parents would take me in um, uh, to live with them for that period of time, as they graciously did. But it was a time of 
You know, I remember, Kyle, you tell me that I, uh, after about a week into it, you said something. I felt you were asking me how things were going, and I said, I feel, I feel broken. You go, yes, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> and um, uh, finally, that brokenness healed, and I feel like what we have now is stronger than ever and when we do recognize those signs of when each other are needing each other we, we seek out each other and just the ways God spoke to us through songs through friends the church being the church 2nd Corinthians uh, 5 17 therefore anyone in, who is in Christ is a new creation. Sorry. Therefore, any, I will have you read it. We'll cut all this. So we had picked a verse together, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And that felt very fitting about our story. The old is gone. Christ died on the cross, and it, that sin is completely washed away. And the new is here. Not saying there will be challenges, there are, but at the same time, we work together to we seek God first. Yeah. You cheer because you love hope, and some of you know there is hope with God, and there's forgiveness, and Jesus promises over and over, the Bible says it over and over, when a person is broken and asks for forgiveness, they receive it. When, when a person asks for help, they, re they receive it, uh, because of who God is and His heart for us. And so I wanted to uh, leave you with some biblical advice, just the best biblical advice I've ever received because not all of you are in the same season or place in life with your relationships. Some of you young people, because I still believe in miracles, hopefully you're going to write this down or you're going to remember this. I know that's a high dream of mine. Um, but I want to leave you with an acronym. If you want to last a lifetime, just remember the word life in lifetime. Lifetime's too long. I can't do the T-I-M-E. Best biblical advice I ever heard um, on if you want your marriage to last a lifetime, uh, what are some biblical principles? L-I-F-E. L, laugh. Laugh together. In Proverbs 17, verse 22, the, psalmist, or the, the, the writer says, uh, a joyful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. He gives a contrast. There's contrast in Hebrew poetry and especially in the Psalms and the Proverbs. You, you know what happens when you feel crushed in spirit and you can't make it and life is hard and it's really difficult and some of us go through difficult things, uh, really difficult things? You need joy. You need laughter. And it's more than just silly jokes. You need to be able to laugh together like you look at each other and you're glad you're with one another and you can smile being together. So you need to laugh together. You also need to invest. Invest your money, invest your resources, invest your time in date nights, uh, study and serve one another. You, you have to invest yourself to really love and serve your spouse. 
It takes a huge investment. It's a lifetime commitment, and, um, and you need to invest. F, you need to forgive. Uh, there probably is no larger topic in, uh, in the Bible when it comes uh, to marriage than forgiveness. You have to learn to forgive one another. Forgive each other as I have forgiven you, Jesus said. As Jesus has forgiven you, forgive one another. Love one another. Be willing to forgive. That's so essential. And E is encourage. Marriages need encouragement. People need encouragement. What is the second greatest commandment in the Bible? To love your neighbor as yourself. Who is a closer neighbor than your spouse? Who's closer to you than your spouse? Love them. Love them as yourself. Love them like Christ loved you. And that includes encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, to love God, to feel his love, and to do what God has called you to do. Really encourage one another. But since I'm just a baby, I've only been married about 14 years, I don't know much, I want you to hear from Jeff and Tiffany. We asked them, what advice would you give a couple, knowing they're going to hear part of your story today, what would you tell them? This is the last video, this is the ending, and then we'll sing a song together. When I, when I talk to couples, or, or we, I hear, think about couples, or our situation, I think, what changed for us was when I stopped looking at you, and it's not a bad thing, but just as my wife. I mean, I'm not saying just as my wife, but you're, you're my sister in Christ. And, and you're my brother in Christ. And you are a sinner, and I am a sinner, and we're broken. And I think when you bring that humility into your marriage, uh, you can have honest conversations. Because, and that's the hope, you know, for small groups is that you can get to that point where you can have honest conversations and that you can know that you're not going to be shunned and shamed. I mean, we're sharing this testimony knowing that some people in our church know this story, some people don't. But this is God's story and what He's done and the good He's done. And that needs to be told.